Welcome to Sane Society. I'm Ben. And I'm Chandler. Today we have our first mini episode. We're really excited. Yep. So, Chandler, what have you been up to? Nothing. We're just, you know, I'm really excited about this romantic episode that we're doing for Valentine's Day. I figure we need to do something that has some red in it, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got our wine and we're all ready to go. Exactly. So back in 1929 on Valentine's Day, four men dressed as police officers entered gangster Bugs Moran's headquarters on North Clark Street in Chicago. Lined up seven of Moran's henchmen against the wall and shot them to death. St. Valentine's Day Massacre, as it's now called, was a culmination of a gang war between arch-rival Al Capone and Bugs Moran. George Bugs uh, Moran was a career criminal who ran the Northside Gang in Chicago during the bootlegging era of the 1920s. He fought barely with Scarface Al Capone for control of the smuggling and trafficking, trafficking operations in Windy City. Primary booze back then because it was prohibition. prohibition. Yeah. Bible thumpers it's got what us. What happens when you make something illegal? Yep. That's why hey. we have cartels. I'm not going to get into it. <laughs> hey, if it wasn't for prohibition, the mob, I mean, we wouldn't have the mob to talk about. You're right. So. I'm so glad for prohibition. <laughs> Uh, throughout the 20s, both survived several attempted murders. On one notorious occasion, Moran and his associates drove six cars past a hotel in Cicero, Illinois. Now, this hotel in Cicero, Illinois was Al Capone's headquarters. It was well-known, had office top floor, blah, blah, blah. Where Al Capone and his associates were having lunch, and they showered the building with more than a 1,000 bullets. That's some heavy duty just unloading. Got those Tommy guns. Yeah, exactly. You can just picture some movie just hanging out there, just blasting the place. Oh, yeah. I love it. A $50,000 bounty at Capone's head was the final straw for him. He ordered um, Moran's gang be destroyed. So Chicago's gang war reached a bloody climax with the so-called St. Valentine's Day Massacre of 1929. One of Capone's longtime enemies, the Irish gangster George Bugs Moran, ran his bootlegging operation out of the garage at 2122 North Clark Street, which you can go visit to this day. I did. It's awesome. (laughs) Literally... I know it sounds lame, but, like, if you're in Chicago, do a mob tour. It is so much fun, and there are so many murders. Like, you think, oh, what, can there be, like, five spots? No, it's, like, a three-hour thing, and it's awesome. Is it cooler than the Breaking Bad tour now in New Mexico? Well, I haven't done that one, and I, you know. I, I need to tell you about that That's not as fun. Well, well, you know, in the airport, I was trying to figure out why they sell Blue Rock candy everywhere, <laughs> and then I was like, oh, uh. <laughs> But anyways... On Valentine's Day, seven members of Moran's operation were gunned down while standing lined up facing the wall of the garage. Some 70 rounds of ammunition were fired. When police officers from Chicago's 36th district arrived, they found one gang member, Frank Gusenberg, barely alive. In the few minutes before he died, they pressed him to reveal what happened, but Gusenberg would not talk. He literally just, his final words, I think, were, no one shot me. And he was literally riddled yep. with 14 bullets. That is that is the classic mob right there. That's you know Omerta, Code of Silence. I think it makes him sound badass. So I'm like, yeah, eh, I'm okay with it. Now, Moran was late to, late to the meeting. Um, as he was pulling up, he saw some police officers entering the building. Now, he just waited outside thinking it was a, you know, it's another raid where his um, gunman would be um, taken away for bootlegging. Yeah, and I actually read that one of, I'm like, of course, I can't remember which one now, but one of the seven men actually bore a strong resemblance to Bugs, so the shooters thought they had him. Um, Police could find only a few eyewitnesses, but eventually concluded that gunmen dressed as police officers had entered the garage and pretended to be arresting the men. 
Though Moran and others immediately blamed the massacre on Capone's gang, the famous gangster himself claimed to have been at his home in Florida at the time. Super chill. Within days, Capone received a summons to testify before a grand jury on the charges of a federal prohibition violations, but he claimed to be too unwell. Which is just, does that still work when you're summoned? Well, I think back then he probably got away with it. He had everybody on the take, so I yeah. think I've read someplace at his peak he had almost a thousand or a little over a thousand people on the payroll, policemen, politicians, and judges. judges so. and yeah, it's crazy. It was common knowledge that Moran was hijacking Capone's Detroit-based liquor shipments, and police focused their attention on Detroit's predominantly Jewish purple gang. Landladies Mrs. Duty and Mrs. Orfidson had taken in three men as roomers ten days before their massacre, and their rooming houses were directly across the street from the North Clark Street garage, which I'll tell you, too, on this tour I took, they, that house is still there. Like, the bottom floor is, I don't know, like a pizza, pizza place or something, but it's still there, which is pretty cool. Um, they picked out mugshots of four Purple Gang members, but later wavered on in their identification, probably because they didn't want to die. Um, the police questioned and cleared the members. Nevertheless, the Purple Gang remained associated with the crime in the years that followed. Many also believed the police were involved, which may have been the intention of the killers. On February 22nd, police were called to the scene of a garage fire on Wood Street, where they found a 1927 Cadillac sedan disassembled and partially burned. They determined that the killers had used this car. They traced the engine number to a Michigan Avenue dealer who had sold the car to a James Morton of Los Angeles. The car had been rented by another man calling himself Frank Rogers, who gave his address as 1859 West North Avenue. This was the address of the Circus Cafe operated by Claude Maddox, a former St. Louis gangster with ties to the Capone gang, the Purple gang, and the St. Louis gang, Egan's Rouch, which, the names. (laughs) I know it was the 20s, but Jesus Christ. They're so bad. Oh, it's like oh, it's the like, purple gang. What is it the movie um, Grease? With yeah, the they had T Birds. That's <laughs> badass. Purple gang. They were definitely doing jazz breaks in between. Yeah. The police could not turn up any information about persons named James Morton or Frank Rogers, but they had a definite lead on one of the killers. Just minutes before the killings, a truck driver named Elmer Lewis had turned a corner a block away from Cl- the Clark Street address and sideswiped a police car. He told police that he stopped immediately but was waved away by the uniformed driver who was missing a front tooth. Now, not a real cop. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they would not have waved you. Um, and back then, they, if it was a real policeman, they may have pulled you out of the truck and beat you. Well, and my tip-off was he was missing a front tooth. Yeah, well, I don't know. If he was a cop in Georgia, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Board of Education um, President H. Wallace Caldwell had witnessed the accident, and he gave the same description of the the driver. Police were confident that they um, were describing notorious gangster Frank Burke, a former member of the Egan Rats. Burke and a close companion named James Ray were known to wear police uniforms whenever on, ro- on a robbery spree. Burke was also fugitive under indictment for robbery and a murder in Ohio. Police then announced that they suspected Capone's um, gum and John Scalise, uh, I apologize if I'm pronouncing these wrong, Albert and Silmi and Silma, um, I don't know. Yeah. Let's go with it. As well as Jack McGurn and Frank Rio, a Capone bodyguard. Police eventually charged McGurn and Scalise with the um, massacre. Capone murdered John Scalise and his Selma, a Selmi, and Joseph Hoptoed. Hoptoed. <laughs> I don't even know how he got that one, I love but 
Anyways, on May 29th, after you learned about their plan to kill him, so it was on own henchmen were playing to kill him. So uh, they're sure they wanted to move up in the ranks and yeah. control some territory. Kind of dip out, hop toad. Yep. The police dropped the murder charges against um, Jack McGurn because of lack of evidence. Big shocker there. And he was just charged with a violation of the Mann Act when he took his girlfriend, uh, Louise, across the state lines of Mary. Now, the Mann Act is still on the books. It's been revamped majorly twice through the years, but the original act was somewhat vague. Um, I'll read it here to you. It made a felony to engage in um, interstate foreign commerce um, transport of any woman or girl for the purpose of prostitution or debauchery. So you can, you know, it's kind of, you know, you can throw whatever you want to in for debauchery or for any other immoral purpose. Once again, vague. Yeah, and super I, vague. I think his um, girlfriend was somewhat young when he took her across state lines, and that's what they got him for. But then it's kidnapping. Well, back then it didn't have the kidnapping charge. They didn't care yeah. about us, ladies. But. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. But they did care about the prostitutes or whatever crossing state lines. What are you talking about? I mean, it's whatever. <laughs> I'm going to let it be. I know. Uh, there's part of the reason I'm single, right? <laughs> you heard it first. He's single, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, the Man Act was just to cut down on like human trafficking right. and prostitution. And, and this, that's what it's still used for today. Which is great. Yeah. The case uh, went stagnant until December 14, 1929, when the Berrien County, Michigan Sheriff's Department raided the St. Joseph, Michigan bungalow of Frederick Dane, the registered owner of a vehicle driven by Fred Killer Burke, which what a badass nickname, Fred Killer. Burke had been driving that night, then rear-ended another vehicle and drove off. Patrolman Charles Skelly pursued, finally forcing him off the road. Skelly hopped onto the running board of Burke's car, but he was shot three times and died of his wounds that night. The car was found wrecked and abandoned just outside of St. Joseph and traced to Fred Dane. By this time, police photos confirmed that Dane was, in fact, Fred Burke, wanted by the Chicago police for his participation in the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Police raided Burke's bungalow and found a large trunk containing a bulletproof vest, which they had bulletproof vests then? Yeah, they're pretty rudimentary. Huh? Made of what? Like Bibles? Metal? No. <laughs> it was metal plates, but... Um, okay. I doubt they worked that well. Yeah, the forty five caliber was going uh, to probably take care of him. Yeah, so bulletproof vest, almost $320,000 in bonds, recent, recently stolen from a Wisconsin bank, two Thompson mach- submachine guns, pistols, two shotguns, and thousands of rounds of ammunition. St. Joseph authorities immediately notified the Chicago p- police who re- requested both machine guns. They used the new science of forensic <laughs> ballistics to identify both weapons as those used in the massacre. They also discovered that one of um, one of them had also been used in a murder for a New York mobster, Frankie Yale, a year and a half earlier. Unfortunately, no further concrete evidence surfaced in the massacre case. Burke was captured over a year later on a Missouri farm. What? what? Um, the case against him was strongest in connection to the murder of Officer Skelly, so he was tried in Michigan and subsequently sentenced to life in prison, imprisonment. He died in prison in 1940. While never officially linked to Capone, he is widely considered to be responsible. No one was ever brought to trial for the murders, and it remains one of the biggest unsolved crimes in history. So... There it is, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. Well, let's go over the victims. I know they're mobsters, but let's, you know, yeah. we should still. I'm sure they probably have some families or mistresses Although, I'm going to butcher these names. I'm yeah. just going to be real with you. Albert Weinshank? 
with who I would have called wine skank, but that's just me. Frank Gusenberg, his brother, Pete Gusenberg, Adam Hare, John May, James Clark, who also, I don't know why they never gave any explanation, but said he also went by the name Albert Kachelik. I don't know. Um, and he was Moran's brother-in-law. And then also they tagged this guy as a visitor, but I think he was just, I don't know what he was to them, but Dr. Reinhard H. Schwimmer, which is David Schwimmer's great-grandfather. I'm just kidding. That's not true. <laughs> ben just looked at me. I was like, that's not true. Yeah. Um, and also, guys, I do want to say, just because just it's a silver lining in the Valentine's Day massacre, that one of the victims, John May, his dog Highball was there, and he was unharmed. Oh, uh, there is a silver lining. There is. A, they didn't hurt the dog, guys. As you can figure, Chandler is definitely a dog person. Such a dog person. Yep. They're the best. I'm glad Highball was fine. So, um, I mean... That basically brought it into the the golden age of mob rule in Chicago because soon after that, well, well, this massacre was kind of the that was it. Yeah, because before that, Capone had like this reputation. He'd do stuff for community. He'd do like food kitchens, things like that. Yeah, and like the it was like the media even didn't like talk shit on him or anything. Right. I mean, people his you know people in neighborhoods would defend him. Sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So same thing that happens in Mexico with some of the drug yeah. cartels down there. Oh yeah, for so. sure. Pablo Escobar. I'm like, yeah. you. I've seen documentaries where they film people down there, and they're like, he was great. Look at what, he did all these things for us. Yep. It's like, well, that's what they do because it's called manipulation. Uh, it's called yeah. I don't know if it's called manipulation. I think so. He was doing his charity work. It's bullshit. <laughs> He's doing it so none of you guys will talk. It wasn't because yep. he just had a soft heart. No. He's a businessman. <laughs> you don't get to the top of him no, being nice. not stupid. Um, but basically, so, you know, after the Valentine's Day massacre, you know, media started, everyone basically turned on Capone because they weren't, they weren't going to defend him anymore. This was, like, too outlandish, too much to, like, kill seven men who are unarmed, literally ex- execution style. And so this was kind of the end of the era for him. Um, it wasn't long after this that Elliot Ness and his untouchables came in and it was now I want to watch that movie. I know. Oh, Kevin Costner. He is the man of my dreams. Don't tell JD, but I love him so much. How many men of the dreams do you have, by the way? Mostly Kevin Costner. Mm, are you sure? But <laughs> there's a few others tossed in. I don't know. I've just been watching Yellowstone right now. I'm like okay. deep into season three and I'm really obsessed with Kevin. He's like so old now and I don't even care. There are plenty of other hot dudes on that show. Mm. And I literally just keep crushing on him. It doesn't even matter. But it wasn't long after that that they came in, and it was literally the next year that he was indicted on tax evasion, right? Yep, because they couldn't get anything else on him. He he beat every other charge, murder, racketeering. So, Um, Do you want to go over some other Valentine's Day crimes? Yes. Um, I will go with one of my favorites because every time I see it, I just laugh. So, guys, pay attention. So, listen to this. Try (laughs) Try to take a lesson from it. So, back in... Valentine's Day 2012, Kira Reed, angered that her boyfriend did not buy her a Valentine's Day gift, attacked Henry Brown, who then barricaded himself inside the bedroom as she threatened to stab him with a kitchen knife. She was stabbing through the door, by the way. She was, she lost her shit. Like, she yeah. must have got him a really good gift. <laughs> I, you know, I, she probably bought him a fucking car. And I don't he was like, know. Oh, I didn't get anything. I, I thought we weren't doing. I really this. want to do some research to see if they're still together. Because you always hear about some no stupid way. shit. I don't know. Hey, I've known people. He was pe- probably like, we weren't even serious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Sure, I I don't know. You always hear about stupid shit where someone goes nuts and they're still together. Uh, that's true. I, uh, I the, you I, see them on the episode of Cops. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, this happened in Cincinnati, Ohio. According to the reports, Reed got into an argument when she did not receive a Valentine's Day present from Brown. Reed initially pushed and scratched Brown, who sought refuge in the apartment's on bedroom. While Brown was um, locked in the bedroom, Reed was threatening to kill him and cut him. She then got a knife and began cutting the door in an attempt to get to the victim. Reed was charged with aggravated menacing, a misdemeanor. So <laughs> that's one of my favorites. I just laugh every time I hear it. So, guys, if you have a woman in your life. If you have a, if you have a woman that's, right. like, just got a touch of crazy. Yeah. Just maybe, you know, I know. Hey, everybody likes a touch of crazy, but that's I know straight. we're telling you this on Valentine's mm. Day, but, like, run out and get her Something, yeah. just something. I do like when I go to the grocery store, like on Valentine's Day. Oh, and flowers. And yeah, and, and I see the schmuck sitting there like at 6.30 a.m. buying flowers in the card. I'm like, you know what? You got to be the biggest dumbass in the I world know. if it just hits you just now. So, well, Or you're just trying to get laid last minute. That's true. <laughs> um, the following year on February, 20, or February 14th, 2013, um, Oscar Pistorius, which who we all know, because wasn't he some... Blade Runner? Yeah, 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 Blade yep. Runner. I'm sorry. I know that shouldn't be funny, but it is. Um, he shot and killed his girlfriend, model Reva Steenkamp. Camp? Steve? Steenkamp. He claimed he had mistaken Steenkamp for an intruder hiding in the bathroom, which makes how, literally no how sense. How many times we watch a true crime episode that they these people give those fucking um, excuses? Oh, there's an intruder... And that's why I'm they like, got but shot. But you weren't wondering where she was? Yeah. Like, it doesn't make any sense. So. Um, he was arrested and charged with the murder. At his trial the following year, Pistorius, Pistorius was found not guilty of murder, but guilty of culpable homicide. I'm assuming basically because they couldn't prove well, like I, intent. I will say this. I've seen, I've seen several documentaries about the judicial system in South Africa. Oh, yeah. It's freaking terrible as far as trying to. Anybody getting convicted of a hardcore crime, I was like, damn near impossible. So Why? I, I don't know. It's a leftover judicial system from apartheid or what's going on there, but it's freaking difficult to get anybody convicted on anything. But yeah, so he was out. He's he's good to go. Yep. Um, and then Ben has something special for us. He's oh. not let me know it. He just cryptically calls it Ben's Valentine Day cards. Yep. So, so uh, here's one for Chandler. Oh, God. Yep. You're so cute. I could just eat you up. Signed, Jeffrey. <laughs> that was my favorite. I love Jeffrey. I mean, I don't love him. I love the story, yep. just to clarify. I killed to get to uh, get inside your head, Ted. <laughs> Dear Valentine, I'd like, to, like you to meet my family. Signed, Charlie. Uh, that thumping sound from under the floorboards is just my way to say that I love you. Who's that from? That's just anonymous. Oh, okay, because I was like, uh, Gacy? <laughs> oh, I've always enjoyed this one. I love you like a back alley hooker who loves crack. Romantic. Yeah, exactly. I think that says it all. Of course, this one's like, kind of, uh, I've given this one before. You suck less than most people. Oh, I think you told me that. That's how we yeah. became friends. <laughs> <laughs> and then Betty Crocker has one that says, "You put the moist in my cake mix." So <laughs> I hate that word. He knows I hate that word. Would you rather like damp cake? Ugh, no, because damp cake sounds weird too. I don't <laughs> well, know. There's no cake? good alternative. What cake? I 
Sloppy cake? Ugh. <laughs> I'm, honestly, I'm just not a cake person. <laughs> not, not anymore. <laughs> well, guys, thanks so. for uh, hanging in there oh, for our first... Oh, you have more? Uh, yo, I got one more thing oh, that geez. I'd like to blame on Chandler. Oh, he started telling me this early, and I was like, yeah. save it for the podcast. Yeah. So, <laughs> Gotta get that content. I blame this totally on Chandler and um, her uh, obsession with serial killers. And I have a lot... I was just telling him when we recorded last week that... I've been having like really awful dreams. I always have had vivid dreams. It's like mm. always a thing for me. And I was yeah. have all these dreams where I'm like killing someone, justifiably so I'm killing someone. <laughs> and it's like so hard to do. And so I was mm. talking to him about that. And so this is why it's my fault. I'm going to buy you a CPR dummy so you can just sit in the backyard stabbing it. And <laughs> just like, like, what Dwight the hell? Yeah. Harvest his organs. <laughs> so anyways, I'm having this dream. All suddenly just flashes to Chandler asking me, if I could help her with something, then it flashes driving. Then it flashes to being out in this field in the middle of nowhere, and there's a body <laughs> laying there. And I look at it, and I ask her, who is it? She says, I don't know, and starts laughing. So I was just like, hmm. Uh, guess what that means, guys? I just found my co-conspirator. I got my accomplice. <laughs> so I woke up laughing or and slightly disturbed. So, Well, that's the beauty of our friendship, Ben. Yep. She'll all suddenly send me a text. Can you buy a shovel? I'm like, uh. Well, but I would specify with cash. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Preferably in some small town that doesn't have any CCTV right, cameras. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, guys, yeah. thanks for being here for our first mini-sode. Um, we really appreciate, appreciate it. If you like uh, what you heard, please go and rate, review, or subscribe. It helps out a lot. And be sure to like us on Instagram. Yes, follow us on Instagram, like us on Instagram. Uh, we also have a... Saint Society Facebook page and a Saint Society podcast fan, fan page. page. Yep. Um, so yeah, join all the things. All right. Till the next episode. Take the portion like they used to take in ancient Greece. How can do them? All they're doing taking a drink to take to go to sleep. Have a good day.